0: For a scripture reading, turn with me to John 17. John chapter 17. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I will be preaching through this prayer of our Lord. And I want these verses to be fresh in your mind. John chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and Thou gavest them me. And they have kept Thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. But for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. If you will turn back with me to John 17. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. Most of the religion of our day refers to Matthew 6 and Luke chapter 11 as the Lord's Prayer. When I was a young man growing up, before they outlawed it, we memorized that prayer in Matthew 6 and Luke 11 and we would stand and say that prayer in the morning when we arrived at school and it was called then the Lord's Prayer. But in truth, that prayer is the disciples' prayer. If you simply look at what the prayer is asking, forgive us our trespasses, our Lord had no trespasses. Neither did he ever ask God to forgive him his trespasses. That's not the Lord's prayer. That's the disciples' prayer. And what he's given to them in those verses is an outline for prayer. Pray like this. And, that, and they ask him, teach us how to pray. He said, okay, after this manner pray ye, our Father. That's where prayer has to start because that's the source of all things and so on, and he gave them a model for prayer, an outline. The instructions he gives before this outline, he never intended, folks, to repeat this prayer. How do I know that? Well, read the verse above it. His instructions he gave before this outline for prayer, Matthew 6 verse 7, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. Don't do that. For they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. And when I read this prayer... I'm wont to identify with His disciples to whom our Lord said, Terry here, I go yonder to pray. You, You sit here and listen. I'm going yonder to pray. You just listen. You listen. We ought to listen. I was thinking about this when I asked Brother Gene to pray. We need to listen when I have somebody pray for us. Or if I'm praying... You need to listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. Because that's what we're doing. We're leading this congregation in prayer. It's a serious matter. But oh my soul, when I think about this prayer, this is the Lord's. Uh, this is the Lord's prayer. What do I know about this prayer? What do I know about this prayer that gives me an interest to preach from it? There's there's a whole Bible to preach from. Why would I go to the Lord's Prayer? Why would I go to John 17 to preach or teach? And especially if I'm going to teach a series. Why would I do so? What do I know? What, do, what did I see? What did I learn as I read this prayer uh, that would lead me to want to preach from it. Well, I know six things from His introduction alone. That's all we're going to look at today, verses 1 and 2. I know six things from His introduction alone that immediately give me an appetite to study this whole prayer. I know I see here an introduction to its author. These words spake Jesus. I see in this introduction the eyes of Christ. He, he tells us about this one who looks up into heaven. He states in this introduction a heavenly interest. My Father. My Father. And then he states a monumental occasion the hours come. And then he gets down to the heart of the matter. Glorify thou me, that thy son also may glorify thee. So let's look at these things and see if the Lord will allow us to graze in this pasture that he's provided for us. We have at the outset of this prayer an introduction to the author of the prayer. These words spake Jesus. At his conception, what do we know about Jesus? What's that name? This whole religious world uses that name the same as they use uh, what was the dog's name in the grade school book? Spot, <laughs> see Spot run. They use that name in the same familiarity, and they don't understand anything at all about that name. At his conception, Mary was told by the angel of God, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Mary didn't come up with it. Joseph didn't come up with it. Elizabeth didn't recommend the name to Mary. How'd they come up with this name? The angel of God was sent to them by God to command them to name this child Jesus, Jesus. And in Luke one thirty two, it says, "For he shall be great." Boy, here's here's a tiny baby, and he's born in a cow stable. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in the manger. And here's an angel saying he's going to be great. Boy, it didn't seem like it at the time, did he? He should be great. And he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there'll be no end. That holy thing, that's how the angel described him, "That holy thing that is in thee is the Son of God. He's the Son of God. In Hebrews 6:19, we're told that the hope we have as an anchor of the soul which is both sure and steadfast, has entered within the veil. Now, anybody that's ever studied the Bible understands the old tabernacle had a veil. What took place back there took place by the high priest alone. One time a year, he took the blood and he went beyond that veil into the Holy of Holies and did business with God on the mercy seat, the high priest. And here Paul said, Our hope is both sure and steadfast and has entered within the veil. That's where atonement was made. That's that's where sins were forgiven. That's where justice was satisfied. And none but the high priest could enter beyond the veil. And so Paul tells us wherein the forerunner is for us entered. Who did that? Even Jesus <laughs> made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who's he? Well, Melchizedek is the priest of the Most High God. That's what says. He He's the priest of the Most High God. He has no father, no mother. He's without descent, having neither beginning of days or end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, and abideth a priest continually. Hebrews 7 verse 3. This man, born of Mary, born in Bethlehem, born in a stable, is the eternal high priest of God. Who is Jesus? He's the high priest of God. Why are you telling us this? Because this prayer is the prayer of the high priest of God. That's why I'm telling you. Who's doing the praying? He's introducing us to the other. It's Jesus. Jesus. And listen to this. He doesn't pray for God to glorify the priest. How, you ever notice that? He said glorify Thy Son. It's the Son of God is our priest. That man praying that prayer is the Son of God who came into this world as the High Priest of God. And he's entering into prayer. Secondly, this Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Glorify thou, thy Son. In Hebrews chapter 1 it says, He being the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power. When He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of God. Being made, now listen to this, being made, Paul writes, so much better than the angels as He has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son. He never said that to Gabriel, did he? Or Michael. To which of the angels said God at any time, Sit thou beside me. Thou sit here my son. Called him my son. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I'll be to him a father, and he'll be to me a son. And again he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. This priest, this one who's about to pray for the church of God, for God's elect, all the angels of God bow and cover their eyes and cry, holy, holy, holy. His train fills the temple. All the angels of God worship Him. Well, what's that mean? He's the only begotten of God. That means He knows what He's praying for and whom He's praying to. That's what that means. That means that everything in His prayer is consistent with the character of God because He is God. That means that he has an ear. He has the ear of his Father. When he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, his Father heard him. Didn't he say that to... I forget if it's Pilate or... He he said, My Father heareth me all the time, continually. He, he He never ignores me. He hears. me. Thirdly, this man, this one called Jesus of Nazareth, is Lord. He has power over all flesh to give eternal life to all God's elect. And he must be Lord to overcome the enemies of God. He must be Lord in order to command. He must be Lord to govern. The government shall be upon his shoulders. And he must be Lord... To do the redemptive will of God. And then fourthly, Jesus is the prophet of God. I've given them thy word. That's what prophets do. They give the people the word of God. Inspired of God. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. I have given them the words which thou gavest me. Did you know this one about to pray, His eternal name is the Word? John didn't say in the beginning was Jesus. He said in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. To Him give all the prophets witness. And then fifthly, Jesus is a representative man. This one... uh, Praying there is not just a man praying in general. This is a representative man. His prayer is my prayer. (laughs) Lock in on that. His prayer is my prayer. And boy, when I look at it, I wonder if I've ever prayed. Hmm? But I'm glad he prayed. He's a representative man. In verse 8 he tells us that those he taught have known surely that he came out from God and was sent of God and everything he had was given him by God and for them. He's a representative man. God's people are in union with him, one with him. And we could go on and on about this man, Jesus. But here's an introduction. He's introducing us to the author of this prayer. Why would I have an appetite to preach from it? Because he who is all is the author of it. That's why. And he's the reason that I might be comforted by it. Alright, here's the second thing I see in this introduction that brings comfort and joy to my heart. A divine look. He lifted up his eyes to heaven. The only other person that I've read in here about that lifted up his eyes to heaven was that proud Pharisee who went out not justified. He lifted up his eyes to heaven. But here it says, our Lord lifted up His eyes to heaven. And heaven, my friends, is the eternal dwelling place of God. And heaven is where Christ came from. I came down from heaven. Ain't that what he said? The reason he's looking up is because back yonder in eternity, he looked down. He's looking up. Because he looked down. God looked down from heaven to see if there was any righteous, to see if any done any good, any of them was seeking him. He looked down. He looked down on hopeless humanity. He looked down on suffering sinners. He looked down on the oppressed. He looked down on ignorant men. And the reason he's looking up is because he looked down. He looked down and then he came down and then he looked up. <laughs> huh? He looked down because everything is under heaven, isn't it? He? he uses that term over and over. No other hope under heaven, given everything's under heaven. He looked down in compassion and mercy and grace and he looked down that way because he was chosen to be our provision. He said, "I came down from heaven." John six thirty-eight, and there's no other reason for God to come down from heaven except to save. But that Sinky, he didn't have to leave heaven to judge. He judged this whole race and never, never stood up from the throne. He sat right there on the throne. He created a whole world, never rose from his throne. But to save, he must come down. Everything else God does, he can do from heaven. But to save, to redeem, to reconcile, he must come down and be made of a woman and made under the law. He who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation and took on him the form of a servant. God can and did create all things from His heavenly throne. He can and did judge mankind without rising from the throne. But to save, He must condescend from the throne of glory and take upon Himself the form of a man. And he who came down from glory now looks up into glory as God's faithful servant and prays for those given Him by God. Is that important? In John 3, 31, it says, He that cometh from above is above all. Huh? One fellow got all upset at me one night for saying that. He said, You're trying to put Jesus above the Father and above the Holy Spirit. I said, I'm not putting him anywhere. I said, In fact, it says it pleased the Father that in him should all fools dwell. It pleased God that he had this preeminence. He gave it to him. I'm not trying to put him anywhere. He that's from above is above all. All creation, all providence, all situations, all circumstances, all men, all angels. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. This one looking up to his heavenly Father is one who looked down upon suffering sinners and came down from his throne in glory to do something about it. Think about that. He lifted up his eyes unto heaven. And then thirdly, I see in these first verses a heavenly interest. Boy, when I think about heaven and I think about myself and I think about mankind, boy, there's just no interest there, is there? Huh? You couldn't even get the interest of an angel, let alone the interest of God. And no interest there. But this man had an interest. And his interest was on the throne of glory. What kind of interest did he have? Father. Oh, my soul. He called God his Father because he's the only begotten of the Father. It is as God is the Father of Christ that he's our Father. Huh? You ever think about that? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Those who by the intervention of God receive that adoption having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Who did that? The Father. The Father. And those who by intervention of God receive that adoption, they all cry, Abba, Father. There is no prayer of no saint and no prayer of our Lord that does not address God as Father. And it's one thing to imagine ourselves to stand before a holy, just, and righteous God who has no respect of persons. If that don't scare you, there's something wrong with you. Stand before God with no buffer. Stand before God as holy and just and righteous. And it's quite another thing to stand before a loving Father. Isn't it? Who made provision for the prodigal? Who runs to the prodigal? He don't wait for the prodigal to come to him, he runs to him. This prodigal has no idea how much love the father has for him. He, it's never in, it didn't, it never entered into his thinking. The best he could come up with was even the servants is treated better than I am out here. I'm going to go home. I'll just be a servant. (laughs) No. No, you won't. God has enough servants. He's not looking for servants. He's looking for the Son. And He sees him. Where does He see him? Great way off. And He runs to him and throws His arms around him and kisses His Son. Now, it's one thing to imagine yourself to stand before a holy, just, and righteous God, but I'm telling you it's another thing to stand there in Christ and know that He's your heavenly Father. He means you no ill. All provision has been made. I've, I've kept, the, the cash has been kept and fatted. It's ready for, ready for the banquet And the servant, whom the son thought that's what he was going to be, the servant, he said, now you go get the ring. He didn't tell the boy to do anything, did he? You go get the ring. Bring And get his roller. Get my roller. Put it on. Huh? Father, listen to this prayer. Father! He's praying for us. And he's saying, He's praying, now listen, in my stead. And he said, Father. Father, he had no need to pray this prayer apart from me or you. His elect did it. He? he left heaven. <laughs> he already had heaven. He's he, he testifying what he's seen and heard. He, he came down from heaven. This prayer, he's praying in my stead. Are you with me? And how's he started? Father. Father. And then fourthly, I see in these first verses of his prayer a monumental occasion. Whatever it is, it's something of eternal proportion and it's about to transpire. The hour, he said, is come. Now he was up preaching in one place and more or less told him he was the son of God, making himself equal with God. And they picked up stones and that city was up on a big high brow. They were going to stone him and throw him over the cliff. But he walked through their midst. How come? Well, he tells you his hour was not yet come. Now he said the hour's come. The hour's come. What hour? The hour of accomplished redemption. Redemption is a work that must be accomplished. Sin must be paid for. Justice must be satisfied. Righteousness must be maintained. God cannot, I hope you can hear me, God cannot simply forgive and forget. That's what people tell me that God does. No, He don't. God cannot simply forgive and forget. Sin has to be paid for. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. Did He make a misstatement when He said that? Uh-uh. Every sinful soul is going to die. He'll die forever in the fires of hell or he'll die in a slain substitute. But he's going to die. Sin has to be paid for. The hour fast approaching is an hour of restitution. The restoring of something lost. What is this hour? It's the hour of God manifesting his name. Manifesting the glory of His great name in the salvation of chosen sinners. And what God manifested in the suffering and death of Christ is the whole purpose behind creation. Is that right? It's the whole purpose. All of creation groaneth and travaileth in pain. What are they waiting for? Waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. All of creation has its being. Everything that you see going on around you. Everything that's happening from here on. All of these things. they just play a little part in this thing. This whole thing is about God manifesting His name in the death of His Son on that cross. It's not just another hour. He said, this is the hour. The hour. And then lastly, I see in these verses the heart of the matter. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Now, what exactly is the Son of God asking the Father to do? Huh? Have you ever read that verse and thought about? It? what is he asking the Father to do? He's the Son of God, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What is he asking the Father to do when he said glorify thy son? When he prays for God to glorify his Son, he's asking for his Father to make him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That's what he's asking. He's asking of his Father to pour out his just wrath upon him until that fiery vengeance burns itself out on him. Oh, my soul. He's asking his Father to look upon him as the sinner. To look upon him in righteous anger. To look upon him without compromise. And extract the full penalty for sin. Glorify thy Son. When he prays for his Father to glorify his Son, that his Son also may glorify his Father, he's praying for the infinite justice of God to find satisfaction in him alone. He'll never look to another after this. It pleased the Lord, Isaiah said, to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin... He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the, prayer, uh, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And he, that is God the Father, shall see the travail of his soul, the reason for his suffering, the reason for his dying, the reason for it, and shall be satisfied. <laughs> Aren't you glad you don't have to satisfy God? Huh? Oh, my son. Men will suffer in hell for eternity, never able to satisfy God. But this man, in a matter of hours, satisfied God. Mm. God set forth His Son both in type and in person as the propitiation for sin, that which enables God to forgive sin. And He does it and gives it to us through faith in His blood. Does that mean we believe He bled? No, that means we see satisfaction in the shedding of His blood. My sins put away. Is this not the heart of the gospel? The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He delivered for our offenses, raised again for our justification. He both delivered us from the wrath to come. For Christ once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. This is the heart of the gospel. The glorification our Lord's praying for here is that of our divine substitute. Can there be anyone or anything other than Christ crucified that can honor God and justify guilty sinners? It's not there. I've looked. Oh, how I've It's not there. Here's where real hope for real sinners is born. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. You know, Moses, I, I think about some of the things that he saw and did. It just, you've you got to be awed by it. And Moses said to God, Show me thy glory. Show me your glory. He said, Moses, no man can look on my face and live. No man. No man. But i tell you what I'm going to do. There's a place by me. And I'm going I'm to put you over here on this rock. Who's that? That's Christ, isn't it? And when I pass by, I'm going to put you down in the cleft of that rock and I'm going to cover you with my hands. And when I pass by, I'll let you see my hinder parts. I'll let you see the end of what I did. Because you can't possibly look at what I actually did. Does that make sense? You couldn't take it. Just the thought of being made sin, our Lord sweat until His sweat become as great drops of blood. I have no idea what it is to be absolutely, totally forsaken of God, no buffer, no nobody to make up the heads, nobody to stand in the gap. Just stand there and say, Glorify thyself. Pour it out on me. That I might glorify you. Huh? Oh, I tell you, what did Moses see? Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord. This was the Lord's doing. Moses' hand wasn't in this. This was the Lord's doing. He he proclaimed unto him the Lord God, merciful and gracious. Long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Now let me ask you something, and I'll bring this whole thing to a close. What do you see in these things? That's what I see. What do you see? The Lord passed by this morning in his gospel. What do you see? Can I see the Lord, the Lord God? Can I see the very hand and counsel of God? Can I see divinity, satisfying divinity? Are we looking for mercy? If you are, this is where you'll find it. Are you looking for grace? This is where you'll find it.